Lord, it's great to be in your presence again. It's great to come and assemble with a group of people who love and worship you the same for the common goal of getting to know you better. And Father, we pray that you, by the power of your Spirit, would accomplish this morning us learning some new areas in the way you work in our lives. Some fresh ideas, Lord, on how to be submitted to you and to live a life of obedience to you. Lord, we're always anxious to apply that which we read. So, Lord, we ask that you would break the bread of your word to us this morning. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 21 of the book of Numbers, beginning in verse 4. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul hates this worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people to bite the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and it will be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent. He put it on a pole, and so it was, if the serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. I want to draw your attention to verse 4 again. They journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged. Discouragement. Now, all of you have faced discouragement and you know what it feels like. A lonely, empty kind of a feeling. Discouragement feels like someone took all of the wind out of your sails. You're making such a good headway and all of a sudden, boom, you're left alone. And all of us have had the experience of being very discouraged. Discouraged, our courage lost. Distressed, despondent. A few years ago, when I was living in Southern California, I was very busy doing ministry stuff, teaching Bible studies, going around, and just busy. There were some, oh, about four months of my life that were just crammed full of being busy for the Lord, and I was enjoying it. And I believe that the Lord spoke to me in the stillness of my heart and said, Skip, I'm going to really be moving in your life in the next few months, especially the next year. This is right before I moved out here. And God was telling me to brace myself. That he was going to move in an accelerated kind of a way. And I was really excited. Then all of a sudden, all of the busyness that I was doing in the ministry stopped. I took a team over to Israel. I came back. And for a period of about four or five months, I felt like, God, where are your promises? Here I am waiting for you and waiting on you for a ministry and I don't see anything happening. And God hadn't for about four months really spoke to me. I just didn't hear any direction from the Lord. I got very discouraged. I'd been waiting. I'd been trusting. And I didn't hear anything from the Lord. I became very, very discouraged. I was, felt like I was let down from the Lord. Last year, before we moved into this building, things were coming together so well. The timing was right. The price was right. The guy let us come in and we had an ample parking, we thought then. 
and we did then. Everything was on schedule. We were excited. This was of the Lord. Then right before we were going to move in, we were told that we were out of code. We had to put doors in the block walls here. We had to double drywall every single wall that's in this building. And then it was going to delay us about two months and cost us over 10,000 bucks. Boy, was I discouraged. I was just going full guns. I was so excited. And one Friday afternoon, I said, Oh, God, why? I don't understand. Everything's been going so well. Then all of a sudden, bam. It's like somebody hauled off and hit me in the stomach. I was sitting there gasping for air. So discouraged as I was waiting on the Lord for His promises. Now, things like this happen to all of us, don't they? We all know what it is to be discouraged. Every human being has felt discouragement. You can't divert it. You can't confess it away. It's going to come to you. But you can deal with it. And you can deal with discouragement in one of two ways, and that's what we're going to look at today. Oftentimes we're discouraged at ourselves. Have you ever been let down and disappointed in yourself? You feel like you have failed yourself? There's a saying that says, to be discouraged and to be disappointed with self means that you've trusted in yourself. And so often we trust in ourselves and God uses discouragement as a tool, I believe, to bring us to the end of our rope of trusting in ourselves. Here we are holding on so tight to the rope, we're trusting in ourselves. And God just lets us hang there and get very discouraged until we let go. And God's hands are underneath us all the time saying, just let go. Come to the end of the rope. Trust in me. So often God can use that even for his glory. Now, discouragement will result in one of two things. It will either cause you to get very angry and bitter at God and other people, or it will cause you to run for shelter to the Lord. Those are one of the two results that discouragement will have in your life. It's like if it's raining outside and you're caught in the middle of a rainstorm. You can stand there and get angry all you want. I don't like this rain. Look at this raining all over me. I'm getting wet. Or you can do something about it and run for shelter. And get covered over will do you no good to get angry and bitter. Even as David said in his times of distress and discouragement, you are my hiding place. The Lord is my refuge and my strength, my high tower. In him will I trust. And David ran for refuge in the Lord. It will cause you either to run to the Lord, to be a tower of strength, or you're going to sit there and get bummed out and angry and bitter at God and everyone else. Now, for those who are discouraged this morning and aching, I have words of comfort for you and also words of warning. Today I want to look at five types of hearts, all experienced by the children of Israel. First of all, we're going to look at the discouraged heart in verse 5, or in verse 4. Then we're going to look at, in verse 5, the complaining heart. Then we're going to see the repentant heart. Then we're going to see the forgiven heart, and finally, the joyful heart. First of all, in verse 4, they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea, to go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. This is the discouraged heart. Now, why were they discouraged? It says that they were discouraged on the way. 
Or as the King James Version says, because of the way. The Amplified Bible puts it, because of the trials of the way. They were discouraged because of the trials they were going through on their journeys. Because of the way. Now the path that the children of Israel was traveling on was really a tough road. They'd been out there in the wilderness wandering for 40 years in the desert, in the dust. And right now at this point in chapter 21, they're right next to the promised land. They're just about ready to go in. They were ready after 40 years. After 40 wasted years of bickering and backbiting and complaining against God and suffering the consequences, they see the land is in front of them and they're ready. They've seen enough rocks and dust, they never want to see another rock. They're ready to see the land flowing with milk and honey and they're getting excited. And so they're just about to get into the promised land, but the soul of the people became very discouraged because of the way. Now it's hard for us to picture being in the desert for 40 years. Now that's without homes. Can you imagine raising children out in the desert in a tent for 40 years? No home. You're raising your kids and you have to walk everywhere. Put the tent, pack it up, put it on the mules and travel. Now, if I go backpacking for a week, I'm ready to come home after just a week. If I'm out in a tent, living in a tent, no bathrooms, no running water. Imagine 40 years putting up with this in the desert. That'd be tough. Raising kids. Can you imagine dating in the desert? (laughs) What do you do? Let's go out tonight and watch a sandstorm, honey. We'll go hunt lizards or something. Great fun. Forty years of being in the wilderness. They're so ready. They're right. They want to get into the land that God has promised them. But instead, they become very discouraged. Now, the easiest route to take from where they are would be directly north, just about 50, 60 miles. That would take them right into the fertile plains where all the grapes grow around a place called Hebron. And they're ready to go in. They think, oh, we're just going to go right in. So what they do is they send a letter or they send a messenger to the king of Edom. And they say, hey, we're going into the land that God promised. Can we pass by your territory? We'll take the highway. And the king of Edom says, you so much as set your foot around my boundaries and I'm going to come out and wipe all of you out. Now that set Moses back a bit. So Moses sends another message. Just tell you what, let us just go through. We won't drink any of your water. We won't hassle any of your people. Just let us go right into the land God promised us. It's directly north. We're your brother. The king of Edom says again, you come near and I'm going to just come out with swords and just cut you to pieces. So Moses had to go back and tell people who had been in the desert for 40 years waiting to get into the land, guys, we have to go back. We have to take a detour and go south through the desert again. And it's going to take more wandering, more years of being in the desert. Can you imagine what a blow that was to them? What do you mean we can't go through? We've been out here 40 years. I can't wait to see the land. I've heard about it. Sorry, we have to turn back. It would sort of be like being in Santa Fe, trying to get into Albuquerque, and you're on foot. You know it's going to take not too long. You've only got 50 miles to go. And they won't allow you to get through, so you have to go 
all the way to Flagstaff, Arizona, down to Phoenix, Tucson, to Las Cruces, and walk up through Albuquerque that way. That's sort of the predicament that they were in. And they've been out in the desert for 40 years. Now you can understand what it means in verse 4, and they became very discouraged because of the way. There's a scripture that says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And they were sick. They'd been waiting for so long, so close, and yet they were so far away. They wouldn't get into the land like they wanted to. And the soul of the people became very discouraged and distressed because of the way. Now it says in verse 4, that they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea. A few years ago, I had the distinct privilege of going down this route. And I traveled by bus from the way that they took from Mount Hor down to the Red Sea. It's the worst, sandiest, dustiest valley. There's not a living thing in sight. It's a dried up riverbed and sandstorms blow through there and pelt the skin. It's miserable. It's called the Great and Terrible Wilderness. And imagine Moses standing before his people. I know it's been tough. I know it's been a long time, 40 years, but we have to go back. You can't get into the land. They were down. They were discouraged. Does this describe you this morning? Are you discouraged because of the way? Because of the trials of life? Maybe certain circumstances have been in and around your life lately and they've caused your heart just to grow sick. You're losing hope. The circumstances are so dark that you're discouraged because of the way. You've been waiting on God for a promise and it hasn't happened. First, I want you to know that it happens to everyone. There was an experience of David, the king of Israel, who was being hunted by his enemies. And this is what David said. Listen to it. He said, have mercy on me, O God, for I am in trouble. My eyes waste away with grief. Yes, my soul and my body, for my life is spent with grief and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity. My bones are wasting away. I am a reproach among all my enemies, but especially among my neighbors. And I am repulsive to my acquaintances. Those who see me on the outside will flee from me. I am forgotten like a dead man out of mind. I am like a broken vessel. Discouraged. Have you ever felt like David? Just so down, you say, I'm just like a broken pot. I've had it. I'm discouraged because of the way. Hey, everyone has those discouragements. Except a lot of people are just chicken to admit it. A lot of people don't want to admit their needs to other people, and that's just pride. But you know, you can never be encouraged. You can never receive encouragement unless you have first guts enough to admit that you're discouraged. That's why I like the scripture so much. It's honest about the people who are the heroes of faith, discouraged like David. First of all, admit that you're discouraged if you are. It's not a sin to be discouraged, as people would tell you that it is. It's okay to be discouraged. You're not the six million dollar man. You're only human. You've got a breaking point. You've got weaknesses. 
as the children of Israel, as they traveled, the soul of the people became very discouraged because of the way. You know, I think that a lot of people who suffer discouragement are tortured at the hands of well-meaning religious people. They're saying, you ought not to be discouraged, brother. Have victory. You know, just like that, snap of the finger. And people will be tortured because they're discouraged and cut down. That's like kicking somebody when they're down. You're discouraged? What a sin. Well, thank you. I needed that. Got any other kind words for me today? Instead of lifting that person up and encouraging, often they're tortured. Hey, that's the reason you've got these two little holes in your head called lacrimal glands or tear glands. To release tears, to release emotion. David said, my pillow swims. My bed is swimming with tears. I'm crying day and night. I'm discouraged. He admitted it. He was human. He had a breaking point. He realized that God didn't put glands in his body that were useless and he used them. He cried. David himself was discouraged because of the way. So you might find yourself discouraged. Maybe a prolonged sickness. You couldn't get rid of it. Maybe you have a relationship with somebody that's straining and it's pulling at you. Maybe it's a death in the family or a death of a friend and you're discouraged. Maybe you've been in depression and it seems you just can't shake it. It's been so long. And you're getting sick of being so depressed and you're discouraged because of the way. Now, at this point, the children of Israel and their discouragement were in a very dangerous and vulnerable position, as we're going to see in just a minute. But first, look when they got discouraged. And we didn't read this yet. Verses 1 through 3. When the king of Arad, the Canaanite, who dwelt in the south, heard that Israel was coming on the road to Atharim. Then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. So Israel made a vow unto the Lord and he said, If you will indeed deliver this people into my hand, I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord listened to the voice of Israel, delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them and their cities. So the name of the place was called Hormah, or utter destruction. Did you notice when their discouragement came? After answered prayer and after victory. Get that. Don't miss that. Discouragement came after answered prayer and after victory. Does that seem strange to you? After a time of great victory, after praying to the Lord and God answers your prayers and you're just humming along all of a sudden, being beset with discouragement. Seems strange. And yet at the same time, it's often God's way. God puts us in what I call God's pressure cooker. And sometimes God will put us in a position and he'll turn up the heat a little bit. And we're in that pressure cooker and we start sweating. And it starts getting hot and our first reaction is, deliver me from this horrible trial, Lord. When God's plan isn't to deliver you from it, to deliver you through it. Not to deliver you from it, to get you through it with flying colors. And he turns up the heat and we begin to complain. But it's like a piece of clay. It has to be molded and then baked with severe heat to make it beautiful. And sometimes God will put heat on even after victory because God was leading them through this way all the way, I believe. All the way down, they had to go, but they became very discouraged. You know that if you took a bar of steel, I read this this week, 
that was worth $5, if you beat it into horseshoes and made horseshoes out of that $5 bar of steel, it would then be worth $10. If you took that same $5 bar of steel and made sewing needles out of it, it would be worth $350. If you took that same $5 bar of steel and made blades for scalpels, it would be worth $32,000. If you took that same $5 bar of steel and you made mainsprings for watches, it would be worth $250,000. But what a poor, that poor bar of steel, that beating that it has to go through, being taken through the fire and pounded and beaten. But the more it's beaten, the more it's shaped, the more beautiful it becomes, the more valuable it becomes. So it is often when God works in our lives. Takes us through a time of victory. We're soaring. God's answering prayer. And we're on this mountain like Mount Hor, and then we go down into this valley by the way of the Red Sea. Dusty, dry, and we're discouraged. That's when it came. That is the reason that the people who teach that suffering is not, not a part of God's plan are very shallow people. People say, God doesn't want you to suffer, sister or brother. Don't you know it's never God's will, never a part of God's plan to let you suffer anything. I mean, you're a child of the king. God forbid that you would suffer. Those people have very shallow relationships with God. Extremely shallow. They don't know the value of God taking us through the pressure cooker, molding us. They want to be official members of the Bless Me Club. And that's about it. They don't understand that often the way to beauty and value is through beatings, buffetings, and through the pressure cooker. As it was for the children of Israel. Now, at this point... They're in a very dangerous, vulnerable position. Verse 4. They were discouraged because of the way. When a person is discouraged, he's got one of two options, like we said. He can seek refuge in the Lord, or he can get angry and complain. The best way, we just read the life of David, didn't we? We just read about David who said, I'm distressed, I'm discouraged, I'm like a broken vessel. I'd like you to look at a scripture of what David did. Turn over and it'd be worth your while to 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, I'd like you to look at verse 6. Then David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But notice, but David strengthened or literally encouraged himself in the Lord his God. David took strength as I'm going to run for the refuge. Now I'd like to read how he did that. The same psalm that I read to you, Psalm 31, I'm going to read to you again. Right after what I just read, David said this, But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hands. That's what David did to strengthen himself or to encourage himself in the Lord. The people were against him. They were speaking of stoning him. David said, my life is broken. It's like a pot. It's no good. They seek my life. But he strengthened himself. He encouraged himself in the Lord. He said, but I'm going to trust in you. This time of pressure is going to cause me to trust you more than I ever have before. This is another opportunity for me to trust you in a deeper way. And a lot of Christians love to trust God when it's easy. When the road is 
flowery and the sun is shining. And then when the tough time comes, they start, instead of running to the Lord, they start griping and complaining. And this is what happened to the children of Israel. Verse 5, Numbers 21. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of the land of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and there is no water and our soul hates this worthless bread. Now this is the complaining heart. They went from the discouraged heart to a complaining heart. Now the children of Israel were good at complaining. They were experts. They had refined complaining to a fine art. And they were doing it all the time. But you know what? You'd think they could come up with something new than the same old line. We're sick of this manna. We're sick of this bread. That's the eighth time they said this stupid thing. It's like a rerun. It's like a broken record. At least they could be original and complain about something else. I guess this is on the top 40, though, and they like to sing this song quite a bit. In fact, they made a movie out of it probably after that. You know that complainers, I think, are the worst people to be around? People who gripe and complain. They're just the worst. I just do not like being around people who gripe and complain and... He who finds fault seldom finds anything else. And it seems when you're around complainers, all they see is crummy things and it's just a quench to be around them. Always complaining, always griping. And for some reason they feel like it's their duty and ministry and calling to gripe. It's their God-given responsibility to find sin and sniff it out. And they come in and that's all they do. But what I'm pointing out here in verse 5 is this is the danger of discouragement. It's okay to be discouraged. If it goes on too long and it's not dealt with properly, it will cause a person to complain. And I want you to notice that their complaint was threefold. First in verse 5, it says, The people spoke against God. Anytime a person sins, actually, it is always against God. David, after he sinned with Bathsheba and Uriah, In Psalm 51, he said, Oh God, against you and you only have I sinned. I I realized that my sin was against God. And when a person complains, it's always against God. When we complain about our lot in life, and this suffering we're going through, and I don't like it, and we start griping, we're in reality complaining and griping against God himself. We begin to complain against the Lord. This is the danger of prolonged discouragement. Now notice verse 5. The people spoke against God and against Moses. They didn't only complain against God, but it was also against Moses. In reality, I believe Moses was just an excuse for them, just a scapegoat. In reality, they were just complaining against God. But you see, God's invisible. Moses wasn't. And so it's always, since you can't see God, you want to... You want to find somebody to complain against, somebody that's tangible to put the blame on. And Moses was the leader, so they go, well, you know, we've complained against God, now we're going to complain against you, Mo. We don't like your leadership. You brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness. We don't like you. And besides that, we don't like this bread that we've been eating for 40 years. We're getting sick of it. And they complained against Moses. A person who lets discouragement get the best of him will often complain against God, but also be critical of other people. They not only complained against God, they became very critical of Moses. Very critical of other people. You know, 
I read this and I think, poor Moses. He's put up with this people for 40 years. Now, he didn't even want to have this job in the first place. He tried to squirm out of it a long time ago. God wouldn't let him. And he's put up, this is the eighth time they've said this stupid complaint against, and it's always against Moses. Always critical against Moses. And I feel sorry for the guy. You know, I think he'd say, honey, it's time to take a vacation. Let's let Aaron take over for a few weeks. Pack up the camel. Let's find a little oasis somewhere. Get out of this. But as we're going to see, Moses hung in there. Be careful of complaining and being critical against other people. When you're critical against other people, it stems from complaining at God. And criticism goes way back. It's always man's art that he has refined to put the blame on somebody else to pass the buck. It happened in the garden. Adam and Eve passing the spiritual buck. Adam, why have you eaten of this tree? Um, um, it was the woman. The wife that you gave me, it was her fault. Well, that's been going on for a long time. It still happens today, doesn't it, man? Well, if you wouldn't have put that there, honey, that wouldn't have happened. Men, be careful. I'm being too critical of your wife's judgment. Just remember who she married. (laughs) That goes vice versa as well. Being critical. First discouragement, then complaining against God, then it's being critical against Moses. But also in verse 5, it says that they were critical and complaining because of their provision. For there is no food and no water, and our soul hates this worthless bread. Now imagine getting up every morning. What's for breakfast, dear? Manna omelets, honey. Oh, great. What's for dinner, dear? Manna pot pie, honey. Same old stuff. We're getting tired of this. The same, that's, imagine having one food for, <coughs> excuse me, 40 years. This is getting old. And so they start complaining, but they were wrong. Notice what they said. Give them water out of the rock. God gave them food from heaven. At one point, God gave them quails, as we saw a few weeks ago on a Sunday night. God was providing for them. In fact, manna sustained their life for 40 years. And I think it was very nutritious. Moses in Deuteronomy said, hey, when you were in the wilderness for 40 years, your feet did not swell. Missionaries that have come back from foreign countries tell us that feet swell due to malnutrition and an imbalanced, improper diet. Hey, your feet didn't swell. God took care of you. God had all the necessary vitamins and provisions in that little manna that you picked up every day. God provided for you. But they began to complain against God, against Moses, and against God's provision for them. You know, I think a lot of Christians complain against God's provision. They complain against the Word of God. They're not satisfied with Bible study anymore. They say, I'm just, I'm not getting fed. I I don't like this food that I'm getting. I've ascended to a higher spiritual plane now. I want deeper truths. I'm at a different level as a Christian now. I want something deeper. And often those people get into such deep things, they get off the deep end. 
And they go searching for little mystical books and mystical little things they call the deep truths. I had a fellow in my office, and he was a friend of mine from California, but he's off a little bit on the deep end. And he started talking to me how that God has revealed in the scripture these new truths, and they have actually been there, but the church has neglected them, and how that you know, all of us are spiritual Jews, and to some of it I can agree, but he started talking about the tabernacle and, and the types and shadows in the tabernacle, which a lot of you are familiar with. But he said, the temple of God and the temple of our bodies are identical, just as there are 12 knobs on the candelabra. Well, it's, it was here. It's not here anymore. But just as there are 12 knobs on this candlestick, we have 12 ribs in our body. And just as there are seven branches on the candlestick, we have seven holes in our head. Okay. Seven. And I thought, well, this is okay, but what great spiritual significance does this have to add to my life? Leaving the simplicity and the truth of the food that God gives us, seeking for deeper things, complaining, griping, and they became very complaining. Now, let's look at the repentant heart, verse 6 and 7. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among them, and they bit the people, and many of the people died. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. We have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord. See, they get spiritual real quick. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Why did God send serpents? Because he loved them. Don't forget that. God sent snakes because he loved his people. Why do you spank your children? Because you love them. God was bringing the children of Israel back to him by sending them serpents. It was all an act of love. The serpents were there to make the children of Israel realize their sin and come running back home to God. Remember the story of the prodigal son? The father just said, go ahead. Take the inheritance and go out. And the prodigal son wasted all his money on riotous living. And there came a time when he was eating pig slop. And as he's sitting down eating pig pig slop with the pigs in the trough, he goes, wait a minute. I was born a rich kid. Here I'm eating pig slop. And he came to his mind and he said, I'm going to go back home to my father and say, Father, forgive me. And he came running back home to his father. And that's what God was doing to the children of Israel, having the children of Israel come and run back home to God. I remember when I was a kid, I used to get real angry at mom and dad. And I'd start complaining against the way they were raising me and the way things were going in the home. So I started complaining against them. And I remember standing looking at my dad and saying, you don't love me anymore. And I don't love you anymore. And I'm going to run away. And I thought he'd say, oh no. My dad folded his arms and says, go. Do you need anything for the journey? I couldn't believe it. So I took my little handkerchief, put a few things in there, important things like army men and things like that. And I journeyed off across the neighborhood. And I went about two blocks and I realized, this is really stupid. And I ran right back home and said, Dad, I'm sorry. And that's what God was getting the children of Israel by sending the serpents to realize, hey, God wants us home. And they came back and they were repenting to the Lord. You know, often we don't realize what we have until it's gone. They didn't realize how good they had it until God started sending serpents their way and started biting them and they realized, hey, we're losing our lives over this. 
There was a woman who went to Switzerland a few years back. She spent a month there. One morning she was walking up a beautiful hill in the Alps and she saw a sheepfold up there, a lot of sheep. And as she approached the sheepfold, there was the shepherd and the sheep were standing around him. And over in the distance, the shepherd noticed on a little pile of hay was a little sheep that was obviously in pain. And she said, good morning, what happened to this little sheep over here? shepherd said, broke its leg. Well, how did he break his leg? shepherd said, I broke it. You broke his leg? Yep. Why would you do that? shepherd said, this was the most wayward sheep of all of my sheep. He'd never listened to me. He'd always run in the opposite direction, never do a thing I asked him. Disobedient. And he led all of the other sheep astray. So I went up to him and I broke his leg. And I laid him on this little pile of hay here. The next day I came to feed him and he tried to bite my hand. So I left. I didn't come back for two days. Two days later I came back with more food. This time he took the food and for the first time in his life he licked my hand. Shepherd said, don't worry, the sheep will get better. And when he gets better, he will hear my voice more readily than any other sheep. He will be quick to obey me. He will never lead others astray. He'll always follow where I lead. And so often we don't realize what we have until God begins to take some of those things away. And in the midst of our complaining as the serpents are biting us, we say, oh Lord, forgive me. I want to come back home. Now in verses 8 and 9, the forgiven heart. The Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten when he looks at it will live. And Moses made a bronze serpent, put it on a pole. And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, that he lived. This is the forgiven heart. Now, Jesus said this, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man will also be lifted up. That whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And then Jesus quoted probably the most famous scripture in, in all of the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the serpent, I'm going to be lifted up. The children of Israel had to look upon the serpent that was on the pole. By the way, this is the symbol for the medical association, the Asclepius. The serpent round about the pole. As the children of, looked, of Israel looked at it, they were healed Physically. And Jesus said, I am going to be lifted up. As Satan has bitten us and we were dying, and Jesus Christ said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself, speaking of his crucifixion. Jesus Christ being lifted up, the foreshadowing of the serpent. As they looked, they were healed. Now I want you to notice that each of them had to look for themselves. They couldn't say, hey, I'm busy shaving right now. Would you go look out there for me? I'm dying, but go take a look for me. Take a picture. They had to come themselves, even as every Christian must come, every person must come for himself in repentance to Jesus Christ and be forgiven. You can't say, well, honey, would you go to church for me today? No, you have to come to the Lord yourself. You must come repentant, otherwise you're not forgiven. You must look and have that look of faith yourself. Each one must look for himself. This was the forgiven heart. Now, finally, in verse 16, and we'll close here. The joyful heart. It says that they traveled, and in verse 16, they went from there to Be'er, which is the well where the Lord said unto Moses, Gather the people together, and I will give them water. And then Israel sang the song, Spring up, O well. All of you sing to it. 
The well of the leaders sank, dug by the nation's nobles, by the lawgiver with their staves, and from the wilderness they went to Matanah. Did you hear that? They're singing. Now, that should be strange to us because they haven't sung for 40 years. The last time they were excited and singing and giving praise and glory to God was when they crossed the Red Sea and they had a big whoop-de-doo. Now, for the first time, after 40 years of discouragement and complaining, they're singing, spring up, O well. What a change. What a difference in their attitude. They're singing and they're singing, spring up, O well. What a change. From a funeral dirge that they were singing a little while ago to worship and praise. From pouting and complaining to thanking the Lord for His provision. You know, up to this point, they were singing the Sinai Blues. Now they're singing the Hallelujah Chorus. Why the change? The change because they recognize now God's provision. After being bitten, they realize God is so good. We've been complaining. And they realize God's provision and they began to sing. Now, regardless... If they had complained or not complained, God still would have brought them to this place of refreshment. It was all a part of God's plan because God never wants His people to be out in the wilderness for too long lest they faint and die. God always has a place of refreshment after a time of dryness. So they didn't have to complain, but they did, and God brought them there in His grace anyway. Now, I want to apply all of this today. Where are you at this morning? What kind of a condition are you in? Are you victorious? Has something great happened in your life and you're just soaring and singing? Great. I praise the Lord for that. But I also want to warn you, don't be too shaken if God will take you from this mountaintop and next you'll be in a dry valley on the way to the Red Sea where it's a little dry and dusty and you'll be faced with some discouragement. Don't be shaken if that happens. Are you aching this morning? Are you dry? Are you discouraged like the children of Israel? I want to comfort you by saying, God has a well of refreshing waiting for you. He won't keep you there forever. He won't allow you to faint in the wilderness. Just around the corner is a spring of refreshing God has promised for you. You're going to come to it. But you're also in a very dangerous position if you're discouraged this morning. You can either cling to the Lord and hold on and encourage yourself in the Lord, or you can complain. And you can get angry at God. God will still eventually bring you to that spring, but you're going to have to go through hardships. Now, if I'm speaking to some this morning who are already in the complaining stage, let me say that there's only one recourse, and that's repentance. You'll never get out of that stage unless you repent before the Lord. Otherwise, you will die in your bitterness. Bitterness is a way to choke the Christian life faster than any other thing. You can get so angry, you'll just become a bitter, angry person and you'll just be a bummer to be around. And if you're in that complaining stage, it takes repentance. Then God will bring you to those wells of refreshing. Remember, he who finds faults finds nothing else. So if you're in victory, great. If you're discouraged, hold on. God will bring you to the spring. If you're in the complaining stage, let's get back to the Lord. Father, this morning... We thank you for the times of refreshing as well as the times of dryness, the times of discouragement.
Father, for those of us who are in discouraging times, may we encourage ourselves in you and come into the shelter, the hiding place, which is Jesus Christ. Father, if we've been complaining, we repent. Ask you to change our hearts, change our lives. We thank you for your grace and your goodness that you chastise us because you love us. That it's the mark of a loving father in his children's life. And Father, we pray for those who don't know you this morning. If those that are outside the body of Christ and have never made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ, maybe they've been raised in a church or been very religious all their life, but they've never made a commitment to you, Lord, I just pray that you'll humble them this morning to come and look to you raised up on the cross and live. 